Hey, E2, it's audience participation time. And I have a microphone, so that gives me supreme authority over all of you. E2 means stand, sorry, in Tareo. So everyone stand up. Hey, so the thing I'm talking about this morning is um, two are better than one, right? So if you saw the newsletter, you saw me kind of mention that, and you saw me get real excited on that crazy video with Mahalia. Um, so that's what I'm talking about, two are better than one, which at the moment, you're like, I have no idea where he's going with this. And again, because I have the microphone, and therefore I have supreme authority, you will now do what I tell you to do, which is go and say kia ora to a few people. We're a real friendly church, so go and say kia ora to a few people, but say to them, hey, two are better than one. And you can say, I have no idea where he's going, but just two are better than one. So go and say kia ora to a few people. Ngamihi, cheers, cheers. Okay, enohoa, enohoa. Enohoa, have a seat, eh? Have a seat. Good to see you all. Hey, so that's what I'm talking about, eh, is this whole um, Jesus better than one. So good to see you. Anyway, sorry, um, kia ora. I didn't say that. Morena. Um, good to see you all, eh? Um, buenos dias. Buenos dias. Good to see the Hispanic folks. And kia ora to the Kone Upurangi. So kia ora to the people listening on the podcast. Welcome to you all. Um, if you're on the podcast, I'm stealing this brilliant idea from Tina because she did this a few weeks ago. If you're listening on the podcast right now, um, Murray, the amazing and awesome Murray, just who's been raptured. Where'd he go? He's been raptured. Oh my goodness. There's this crazy theory that people that are just so spiritual, God just goes, I can't leave you on earth, and he raptures them. There's this, it's crazy, but that's the thing. So maybe that's what happened to Murray. He was so spiritual. God was like, I need you up there. Um, Murray just read uh, John 14, um, 1 through uh, 14. So if you're listening on the the corner Ipurang, it'd be good to just maybe pause, um, go and listen to that, and then you'll know where we're going. So it gives you some good context. Hey, um, so as I said before, I called this message um, Two Are Better Than One. And I put usually, because I knew there'd be some geek that would text me and be like, Oh, really, bro? So if I punch you in the face twice, is that better than one punch in the face? If I slash two times, is that better than one? So I was like, Oh my gosh. So I put usually on there, right? But we all know it's true, right? Two things are always better than one, usually, right? So two chocolates kind of obvious, you'd agree? So, because I love you all, um, I have some chocolates, so I'll start with Jake, because I love you, bro. See, Jake, two chocolates are way better than one chocolate, am I right? You are right. Yeah, see, because maybe both are for you, maybe one's for you, one's for a friend. See, one's for a friend, so two's better than one, right? And just because your beard is extra glorious today, two chocolates better than one chocolate, eh? You reckon, eh? I reckon. Eve thinks you're just walking past two chocolates, better than one. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> Man, Justin won't let me down, eh? Two chocolates, better than one. Always. Lindley? Yeah, Lindley's like, oh, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Oh, I'm going to run out of chocolate, so. I didn't do any on this side. I did. Eve's got them on this side. Kia ora. What are you doing here, bro? Two chocolates, better than one, eh? Don't give it to Brayden, though. No. He's, like, extra shady, yeah? Um, two's always better than one, right, when it's good stuff like that. And what else is, is good? Two steaks. Amen, all the, all the guys. Someone gives you one steak, you're like, shot. Two steaks, you're like, thank you, Jesus, right? Two fried eggs, two steaks. Oh, perfect. Um, you and a friend are always better than just you. It's a good one, eh? So you're amazing, but man, when you are with a friend, you guys are just next level amazing. Um, pizza. I'm pretty sure technically in some places in the world, it's illegal to only eat one slice of pizza because two slices way better or maybe... Two pizzas are better than one pizza. Um, maybe not. Hey, so that's where we're going with this whole two are better than one thing. And you'll see it come out um, again and again through the, the text as we kind of dig through it. 
Uh, but one of the things you've you got to understand in this is the context of what's going on in this chapter of John. Otherwise, the first verses just totally don't make sense. So um, I've kind of done this a few times when I've started to preach, is to give you a bit of context so we understand what's going on. So just a real simple thing of, of when you're reading the Bible, if you hit a verse that you're not sure about, make sure you've read the chapter, right? Where does this fit? How does this chapter make? If you're reading a chapter, reading a section, doesn't make sense, read the chapters on each side, right? It just explains it, right? It makes sense when we read the context. So to, to understand the context of what's going on here in John, we need to see what Jesus has just been talking about because he starts off with, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? The first line, don't let your hearts be troubled. And so we go instantly like, why are they troubled? Why are they worrying about? So here's a quote from a commentary I was reading this week. This is pretty negative. He said, the disciples were completely bewildered and discouraged. Um, Jesus had said he was going away. And you can see I've got tons of references up there. Jesus had said he was going away and that he would die, <laughs> that one of the 12 was a traitor, that Peter would disown him three times, that Satan was at work against all of them, and that all the disciples would fall away. The cumulative weight of these revelations must have greatly depressed them. Right? I'm like, man, when you read that and you think Jesus has literally just been saying this to them recently, it's like, yeah, the cumulative weight of that would have just so, so depressed them. Hey, I love that. Hey, if you've got your Bible, jump over to John um, 14. It's, it's good to follow along. I, I don't know. I'm a little bit old school, and I still reckon that the Spirit speaks to us better the, the Word of God is powerful and living and active, and I think when we hold it, when we read it, when we look at it, I think the Spirit can get that into our souls better. So if you've got a device, grab it, eh? It's good to check. I'm not just making all this stuff up. Um, so let me read a, a couple of verses here to kind of um, get us going a little bit, eh? Um, just verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I just love that, eh? Trust in God. Trust also in me. Um, one of the things you're going to see in here is that Jesus doesn't say to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, it's all going to be fine. He doesn't say that, right? He doesn't say, don't let your hearts be troubled, just get all over it. Man, you slackers just being all... He doesn't say that, right? And through the next two or three verses, he's going to give us a whole bunch of, of rationales for why they don't need to let their hearts be troubled. Why in the midst of, like, you can see here, this is big stuff on the screen, right? Satan's at work. Disciples are all going to fall away. Why can Jesus know he said this? Why can he know the disciples are struggling, but Jesus is going to give them these, these good things to hold on to, right? He's not just saying, ah, oh, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. It's mind over matter. Um, and I, I think to me one of the big things is that Jesus gets hardship, right? Jesus really gets hardship. And I think some of us make the mistake that we sometimes think Jesus, because he's fully God on earth, He's fully human, he's fully God. That when he was fully God on earth, everything was pretty easy. You know, he needed to get from one side of the lake to the other. There's no boats. I'll just stroll across, right? We've run out of food. I'll just create more food. We've run out of wine. I'll just create more wine. And sometimes we have this image that Jesus is just, everything's easy for him, right? And so I just listed down a few things that remind us that Jesus understands hardship. And the reason I'm saying this is because when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled, he gets it. He gets why the disciples are struggling, right? And so therefore he gets why we struggle sometimes. He gets why we sometimes find it hard and, and hardship for ourselves. So just a few little things. His father died probably when he was quite young. Um, Jesus was constantly attacked by the religious leaders. That's just a continual, continual, continual thing. He was constantly misunderstood by his closest friends. That must have been super hard. His close friends, including his best friend, who's John, finally desert him in his time of extreme need. And then he's finally killed in the most horrible way possible while his mother watches. Um, Jesus had a really hard life, right? Really hard. Harder than most of us. 
in this room. And so when Jesus says to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, he gets what it's like for them to be troubled, right? Um, I love this verse from Hebrews. You guys know this, right? Um, this is Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, and it says, this high priest of ours. So um, the writer in Hebrews often calls Jesus a priest. So um, a prophet is someone who represents God to the people, takes the message of God to the people, and a priest is someone who represents the people before God, right? You see that all the way through the Old Testament. So he's calling Jesus this high priest, this supreme priest. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. I mean, I, I just love this verse, eh? Um, I love this verse. This verse reminds us that Jesus totally gets our struggles. He gets our hardship. He's not just the Son of God floating around making everything fine and easy and stuff. He, he gets it, right? And I love what it says at the beginning. He understands our weaknesses, and we can go, why does he understand that? Does he really get it? He was God. Does he really understand what it's like to be weak and to struggle? And then the, the writer explains it and, and says, for he faced the same testings we do. He faced the same temptations. Now, he's not meaning the exact same, right? So Jesus was never tempted to look at porn on his iPhone, right? Because there were no iPhones, right? He was never tempted to speed on the Waikato Expressway coming into town, even though it says 110, he never went. You know what I mean? It's not that. It's meaning the categories of sin that we struggle with, the categories of temptation that we struggle with. That's what Jesus wrestled with, right? So he's at the temple, and a lady who's in the court of woman is walking, and she stumbles, and her skirt comes up, and he sees her ankle. He's like, no, the temptation, right? It's the same thing, right? Uh, maybe he's in a chariot, and he's saying to the chariot driver, bro, I'm late for that meeting. Just kind of speed it up a little bit. You know, we'll go faster than the chariot speed. You know what I mean, eh? In the categories of, of sin, Jesus understands. I love that, eh? And then you get to the end. He says, um, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. They all receive his mercy, and I love that last bit. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most, right? Um, we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Um, and I think sometimes we're a bit goosey. And I think sometimes we forget that God doesn't really, really get what it's like for us when we're struggling, when things are hard, when we're sick. We've got sick whanau, when the planet's spinning out of control, when the mortgage and the rent and the... Um, and I love to say Jesus really gets it. Um, so when he says to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, he's going, don't let your hearts be troubled. I get it. I'm not just saying, just ignore it, right? Um, so this is our first, um, our first two are better than one. Two are better than one. You and Jesus are so much better than you. Amen, eh? Amen to that? Man, you and Jesus are way better than just you. And the dumb thing some of us do is we amen that in church, but then we don't amen it in real life. And we try and get through life all by ourselves, right? When Jesus is right there to help us, to support us. So turn to a couple of people around you and say, you and Jesus are so much better than just you. But say it in love. Don't like say it in some judgmental. Unless they're your brother or sister, then you can be a bit rude. So say that to a few people around you. Okay. Fokarongamai, listen back to you. Hey, so let's read a bit more. Um, so here's the first point. Don't be troubled. God's got you, right? Don't be troubled. God's got you. So let me read verses 1 to 3 here. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have, um, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you, you know, so that you'll always be with me where I am. Um, I just love this, eh? I love this um, in here. And there's a really cool... 
um, two are better than one kind of coming. Um, I wanted to break this down real clearly. So um, here's the first reason. Why can I, um, when I'm in trouble, why can I, I know that God's got me? And here's the first thing Jesus says. To make a conscious, informed decision to keep reminding yourself that God has got you, Right? to make a conscious, informed decision to keep reminding yourself that God has got you. What I'm meaning here is that sometimes we can sit in church and this all makes sense and this is all cool, but then when the storms of life, when the hard things of life hit us, we, we forget that God's got us. And, and I love this, this, this wording, a conscious, informed decision. I'm basing this on the truth that I've spent time in the Word. I'm basing this on the truth that I've been in church or I've been listened to worship music, I've been in the whatever, and I've experienced the reality that God has really got me. And I've done that in the good times. So when the bad times come, I can know, even though hard things are coming at me, God has really got me. Does it make sense, eh? Yeah, does it make sense? In, in a couple of verses, um, Jesus is going to talk about sacrificing himself in our place. And he's basically saying here, if I sacrifice myself in your place to bring you into the presence of the Father, then I'm totally going to be with you in this life, Right? He's not going to sacrifice himself on the cross to bring us into communion with himself and with the Father and then just desert us on this planet and be like, well, good luck with that when trouble strikes, right? You see it in this verse in Romans, real clear. Um, since he, which is God in this case, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I love this verse, eh? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else. I love that, eh? I just love this verse. I see the same kind of thing down in verse 11. Let me read verse 11 here. It says, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works you've seen me do. Um, there's a real strong truth coming out in here that this two is better than one, and he's talking about it's not just Jesus who's holding on to us, it's also the Father who's holding on to us. Does it make sense that you see it in there? He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And then in verse 11, he says, I and the Father are one. The Father is in me. I am in the Father. Um, I've heard it explained heaps of times um, like this, and if you're on the podcast, I'll try and explain it. It's like you're a P, I don't know. Um, and Jesus, I'm, I'm putting a P in the palm of my hand, and, and Jesus holds us tight. And he is the creator of the universe, the Son of God. No one is going to mess with him. No one is going to get the P-U out of his hand. That makes sense, eh? But the thing that Jesus then says is it's not just him holding it, it's that then the Father is holding you as well, right? And, and I wrote it out this week because I was, I was thinking about this and I was like, man, I've been in the Bible forever and I know this, but I've not really thought about it like this. So I wrote it out like this. God the Father is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. He is eternal and far beyond our comprehension. To have him watching over us and blessing us and protecting us and guiding us should totally make us bow and worship and just go, whoa. It makes sense, right? To think that God the Father, the creator of the universe, has got you should just make us stop and go, oh, that is blessing, right? But Jesus is saying here, this is not the full picture. It's only half the picture. Not only is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God of the universe watching over us, Jesus, who is also God and therefore all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, is watching over us as well. I, I just love that, eh? I just love that. And like I said, he's not, he's not saying it's a mind-over-matter thing. Just change your mind on this and you'll be fine. He's saying I need to 
consciously, intentionally choose to believe that God has got me, right? That he is watching over me, that he's blessing me. Um, and so I wrote these down on the screen because I wanted us to be real clear on this. Um, I choose to believe the truth that God has got me. I choose to believe and remind myself that Satan will not win. I choose to believe that God and Jesus have got me and I am on their team and they can handle the situation I'm in. I choose to believe God is not on vacation. He is present and active, powerful and loving and knows what is best for me, always. And again, Jesus is saying this is a conscious decision based on the truth that I see in the Bible. Okay, this is the second two are better than one. Two are better than one. Jesus and the Father double team you in blessing. I love that, eh? Do you know where the, the term double team comes from in our modern culture? From wrestling, right? So in wrestling, one person um, would be wrestling. So John, John and I are like wrestling in the ring, and I'd obviously dominate John, John. We all know that, right? It's okay. No, I'd probably lose, to be honest. But then John, John's starting to, to beat me, and so then I tag one of my mates who jumps in, and then we double team John, John, and so the two of us together are just going to dominate and destroy John. I love you, bro, but you're going to be destroyed, right? That's what double team means, and I love having that image in my mind. It's like, man, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, but also trust in me, because we will double team up to bless you. I love that. Okay, so turn to a few people around you. Jesus and the Father double team you in blessing. Jesus and the Father double team you in blessing. Turn to a few people around you and say that, yeah? Alrighty, let me pray and then we're going to carry on sermoning. Let me pray. Your mighty God, I just feel sad that um, we just really don't understand what that means. Uh, we do not understand as mere humans what it means that the creator of the universe um, loves us so much that he desires to bless us, care for us, protect us, but not just you, um, God our Father, but also Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Um, just the security that brings us, uh, the reality that no matter what comes at us, whether it's coming at us from Satan, whether it's coming at us from a fallen world, whether it's coming at us from our own stupid choices, um, you have us. You have got us. Uh, Satan will not win in our lives because we are held firm in the grasp of Jesus and then kind of over the top of that, we are held firm in the grasp of the almighty God of the universe. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, you are sent to guide us and direct us. I pray especially for people in the room right now that are really struggling with stuff, big stuff, that the reality that the Son and the Father have them would sink deep into their soul can you take that, that verse, do not let your hearts be troubled? Um, trust in God, trust also in me. Would you really cement that or burn that into their soul that as the storms of life hit, that they would be buffeted, eh? We're always buffeted, but that they would know deep in their soul that you have them. Yeah, that the Trinity loves them and cares for them. Give them that security, give them that peace, give them that strength, God. Yeah, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so the first thing is to, to have this con conscious, intentional decision that God's got me. And here's the second one. This is kind of a, a weird one. Um, make a conscious decision to keep reminding yourself that this world and life is not all there is, that Jesus is coming back, 
And this is something we often don't talk about a lot in church now, and I think it's because it's super weird. And people instantly put on their, like, Lord of the Rings slash Star Wars slash, I don't know, Thor, Avengers kind of weird, crazy hat when people start talking about Jesus returning and, and taking us to be with him. And it's kind of like, are you serious? Is it real? And I always go, yeah, it really is, right? But it just feels so science fictiony and so weird. Um, but Jesus says it. Murray read it. I read it. And Jesus says it so clearly that he's coming back to, to take us to be with him. And I think this is something that as modern day Christians, we forget to really hold on to this, this reality that this life is not all there is, right? That this world is not all there is, that Jesus is coming to take us to be with him, right? I have it tattered on my arm um, from Hebrews, right? Um, it, It just says, I'm a foreigner and a nomad. I'm looking for a better place. That's what he says in there, that the prophets of old were looking for a better place. They knew this world was not their eternal place. They're just kind of passing through is the idea. Um, and I think it's something in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trial, we need to hold on to. Um, and he, he, this comes up in the Bible again and again. So I just grabbed a couple of quick verses to look at. Um, so you see it there in, in verse 2 and 3, and then here, John 17, 24, Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me, because you loved me even before the world began. You can see it real clear, right? I want those whom you've given me to be with me where I am. And Paul says it over in Philippians. Um, this one's a real crazy one. So Paul has a real hard life, and he's, he's expecting to die just about all the time, right? He's getting shipwrecked and bitten by poisonous snakes and beaten, and he literally dies from people you know, throwing giant rocks at his head. It's just crazy stuff. And he says this in, in Philippians 1. I'm torn between two desires, and I, I read it like this. <sighs> I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. (sighs) But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live because his life is so hard. He's just like, God, I wish you'd just take me. I just want to die and be with Jesus, but I know you've still got work for me to do, right? I love that. There's this reality right through the Bible um, that this life is not all there is, that the the best is yet to come, which is when we're united. Um, and connected with God. I love it. Um, Let me read this verse again, and then I'm going to explain it, because it's a pretty crazy verse. Um, Verse 2 says, There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you, um, so that you'll always be with me where I am. Um, This whole building rooms and stuff, when I was young, I grew up in a a groovy church, but a slightly crazy church, and um, I remember when I was probably about 13, 12, somewhere in there, um, a guy came and preached on these verses, and this is literally what he said, and I'm not disrespecting him, and I have no idea who he is, so if he's listening to this, um, sorry bro, um, but what he said is that God had foreordained Joseph, um, Jesus' earthly father, to be a carpenter, so that Jesus would learn carpentry skills, right? Do you see where he was going with this? Yep. So he said, so therefore Jesus grew up as a carpenter because he needed to be a carpenter, and know how to build stuff so that now he's in heaven building rooms for us. And he was like, yeah, Jesus is up there. He's got his builder's apron on and his drops all going and angels helping him, handing him nails, and he's literally building rooms. And I'm like a 12, 13-year-old guy just sitting there going, this is fantastic. I never realized. Of course, it makes sense. That's why Jesus had to be a carpenter, so he could build rooms. This is like, this is awesome, right? Um, this is, and again, no disrespect to that dude. This is completely not what it's saying, right? So if you've heard that, that's totally not what... Um, the verses are saying. So one of the tricks in this is that word um, home. So he says, um, 
uh, there is more than enough room in my father's home. And this word home, it's only used twice in the New Testament, so it's quite a hard one to figure out, but there's another verse coming that really makes it clear. What the word really means is like presence, right? It means presence, right? So there's more than enough room in my father's presence for everyone to be connected. And, and look at this verse. When I show you this verse, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, Jesus replied, all, this is from John 14, 23. Jesus replied, all who love me and will do what I say, my father will love them and we will come and make our home, same Greek word, with each of them. So he's not saying we'll come and make our temple. <laughs> like Jesus is not saying, oh, the Father and I will come when anyone becomes a Christian and build a temple with them. Oh, and then someone else will build another temple. Because if you took it, that's what it's meaning in John 14. That's the meaning you'd have to have here. So it's totally not what it means, right? It simply means um, that Jesus brings his, his presence to be with us, right? Um, the Father comes to be present with us, which just amazes me, right? Um, I'm always overwhelmed with the reality of the, the, the deep personal connection that the Father has with us. Because a lot of us are Muppets. Amen? A lot of us are Muppets in our relationship with Jesus. We are. We don't read our Bibles every day. We're in the car listening to the rock or some shady rubbish. and You know what I mean, eh? We choose to do sins. I do anyway. You're looking at me like, whoa, bro, judgment eyes right now. We all sin, Right? But the reality that the Father is present with you all the time because of the sacrifice of Jesus just makes me go, wow. If I was God, I'd come and go, which is what the Spirit did in the Old Testament. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus now, this is what he's saying, we come into the presence of God forever and ever and ever. just amazes me, right? It amazes me. So when Jesus is talking about, I go to prepare a place for you, he's not saying he's going to build things and putting on his builder's apron and got his DeWalt drop saw. I always imagine DeWalt's being the best drops that we can get. Is that right, Simon? No? Oh, no. They're yellow. Yellow's cool and shiny. We'll talk afterwards, bro. Um, it's not saying that Jesus has got his drop saw out. and his, you know, That's not what it's meaning, right? It's literally meaning that Jesus is going to go to the cross. That's where he's going to prepare a place. And it happens just in a few chapters in the Bible. I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to go and die in their place to bring them into the presence of God. Okay, let me summarize this section. Uh, Jesus knows the disciples are now overwhelmed with worry. And he's saying to them, do not worry, I've got you. And the Father and I have got you. And I'm about to go and secure your salvation forever. And I'm therefore about to secure you into the presence of my Father and I forever. Does it make sense, eh? When you see it like that, it makes sense? Anyone? Okay, I'm just going to move on and hope that that made sense to someone. All right, so let's do the next one. Um, don't live a lame life. Um, Jesus has got you. So the first section is don't be troubled. God's got you. Here's the next one. Um, don't live a lame life. Uh, Jesus has got you. Let me read verses 4 and 5, and then verse 6 is what I'm going to pull apart. And verse 4 and 5 is funny, and I loved how Murray read it because it's just kind of like, it's real funny. Um, so he says, you know, I'm going, and I'll come and get you. And then verse 4, he goes, and you know, Jesus says it all confidently, you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas, who's just always hilarious, goes, no, we don't know, Lord. Thomas said, we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? I just love it. He's so honest, eh? And heaps of us who would have read this would be like, oh, I'm totally with you, Thomas. I've got no idea what's happening. And so then Jesus, like he often does, makes it real clear. And this is verse 6, which we're going to pull apart. Um, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I just love that, um, that clarity. So let me pull these apart um, in a little bit of detail. Here's the first one. Jesus is the way, right? Well, there's the thing, sorry. Jesus is the way, right? Jesus is the way. 
Um, I used to work at a Bible college over in Tauranga, and a big part of my role was to visit with people all over the country, right? So I was always preaching in churches and stuff around New Zealand, um, but heaps of times I'd have meetings with pastors to kind of try and woo them into giving students to the college and all that kind of crazy stuff. And so often I'd fly into Christchurch for the day or Wellington for the day or whatever and have meetings the whole day. And usually the way it would work is I would set up that that day would work for that person, like maybe a month in advance, and then I'd hand it off to my PA who would then contact them and she'd set up exactly the order of people I was meeting with and the different cafes or their church or whatever all over the place. So I'd literally fly into Christchurch. Um, I'd know who I was meeting with, but I'd have no idea where these cafes or churches were, right? And I'd have a hire car, come out of the airport, jump in my hire car, and literally just Apple Maps open and just... So Apple Maps links to your calendar... Thank you, Jesus, for that. Just click, next appointment, and then it would just come up. And I'd be literally like driving through Christchurch. I have no idea where I'm going. And because my PA had put it in right, it would just take me to the, to the right place, right? Um, most of the time. Occasionally, I would get lost, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, so Jesus here says he is the way. So in my life as a, a Bible college principal, often Apple Maps was the way, which is kind of a little bit of a shady statement to say, right? Um, but Apple Maps is not the way, right? Apple Maps only showed me the way. So this is another one of these two are better than one things, right? So Jesus is not only the way pointing us to the Father, he also is the way. And I'm, if you're on the podcast, I'm hitting myself in the chest now. So what he's saying is he is the way pointing us to the Father, but he is the way, he is the one who secured our access to the Father. So Apple Maps was the one that pointed me to the next meeting. It showed me the way. That's the first half of what Jesus is saying. But the road or the car or something, I don't know, is actually the way. It got me there. But Jesus is saying both those things, right? He is the way. He's the one that guides me um, to the Father. Um, but also he is the way. So I chucked it on the screen like this so you could get it. Jesus is the way to the Father and Jesus himself, and then this is in capitals, is the way to the Father. Does that make sense, right? Because there's a big double meaning. Yeah, you're kind of getting it. Okay. So Jesus is the one who points us to the Father. But at the same time, Jesus is the way through his life, death, and resurrection. He makes it possible for us to have that connection with the Father. Um, so if you know me, you know I'm incredibly impatient, right? It's something Jesus and I are working on, but he's not making a lot of progress because I'm an idiot, right? Um, and often when I was, uh, and this probably happened more times than I should admit, um, often Apple Maps would tell me to go a certain way. And I would be looking at it going, that is the stupidest way ever. I know Auckland super well. I know Wellington super well. I know if I just cut down here and go down here, it's going to be so much faster and save me so much time, right? Who's done this? Ignored the maps? Yeah, we'll do it. The number of times I did that, and then I'd get off the freeway, get off the road or whatever, cut down, and then just be like, stuck. And it's like, oh, car crash or random roadworks or something, and I'd just be stuck there. For ages, my favourite one ever was I was in South Auckland, had a whole bunch of meetings, and Apple Maps was telling me to go a certain way, and it was doing this big loop, and I was like, that is stupid, there's a road I know goes right through the middle of this part of, um, in Manorewa of South Auckland, and so I started going and just gridlock, and I'd never seen gridlock in New Zealand, I moved, this is no lie, in two hours I moved 100 metres, that was it, in my car, it was just total gridlock, there was no car, I was on the radio trying to find what's happening, nothing, right? I'm stuck there, and I'm ringing the people saying, oh, we've got to move our meeting, I'm stuck in traffic. And they're like, where are you? And I tell them, they're like, oh, everyone knows you don't go that way, right? Um, how does this connect with Jesus? Um, I would never say this of you, but I'll say this of me. Many, many times in my life, Jesus is, is here, and he's saying, this is the way, Craig, to truth. 
This is the way to life over here. This is the way to, to life, fullness of life. And I'm over here. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but that's such a slow way or that's a hard way, Jesus. I know if I just cut through here, I'll go, Psh, custard, car crash, life wreck. Do you know what I mean? Sin, <laughs> foolish. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm back over here. You were right. You're always the best, you know. Um, I, I know you guys would never do that, but I do that a little bit too much, right? Okay, so here's another two, a better than one. Jesus is the way. And Jesus is the way. <laughs> kind of crazy. So turn to a few people around you and say, Jesus is the way and Jesus is the way. But in your head, you're saying the two different ways, right? He's the pointer to the Father, and he's the one who gives us access to the Father. So say those. Cool, cool. Okay. Um, now the truth. Um, the truth is a real quick one, right? The truth literally just means Jesus is truth. It's not a rocket science one, right? The way has got double meanings and it's all involved. But the truth just literally means Jesus is the truth. If you want to know, um, if you want to know the truth about who God is, if you want to know the truth about who you are, if you want to know the truth about this crazy messed up planet and why you are here, the only person that can reveal that to you is Jesus because he is the truth, right? It makes sense, eh? It's easy. Um, one of the things that keeps freaking me out at the moment is in, in society is how... Anyone can post something on social media and everyone else suddenly thinks it's truth, right? People are arguing with them and disagreeing and arguing. And again and again, you see someone go, hang on, where did you get that from? And they've got no facts. I've just put it out there as absolute truth. And I'm like, man, in society now, it is getting really, really hard to actually find out the truth. Like one of the big things, and I've said this to my daughters when they've been growing up for years, you've got to remember the media is there to make money. The media is not there to inform us. The media is there to make money. They have an agenda, and they are purely there to make money. They could care less about giving you information. So everything they share is twisted to meet their agenda. So again, you can't turn on the news and think, yes, I'm getting truth. You're not, right? You're getting their agenda. They're showing you what they want to show you to meet their agenda and to make money. That's why they exist, right? So where do I find truth about who I am? Where do I find truth about God and life and the universe and meaning? Jesus says, me, I am the way, and I am the truth. Easy one, right? Easy one. And here's the last one, um, the life. I love this, eh? Um, and this life, again, has this kind of double meaning thing. So there's two parts of this. So um, it's a real easy one to understand. So John 1, 14, um, the word gave life to everything that was created. This is simply talking about physical life. So again and again, and Nick read those cool verses from Colossians 1 before. Jesus is the one who created everything. So Jesus is the one who gave everything Physical life, right? So when Jesus created a platypus, no one knows what he was thinking when he created a platypus, the weirdest animal ever. Um, when he created a platypus, he gave a platypus life. When he created plants, he gave them life. When he created you, he gave you life, physical life. That's the first part. And then the second part of spiritual life, the father has life in himself. And he has granted that same life-giving power to his son. And this is the spiritual aspect of life, Right? Um, and to me, the favorite, my favorite part of the spiritual aspect of life is always this one in John 10, 10, right? I know I bring this verse up all the time, but I just love it. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life, right? Um, a rich and a satisfying life. And I want to say this just bluntly, and if you're in church or listening on the podcast, I'm sure you already kind of get this or already totally agree with this. If you want a rich and satisfying life, the only place you'll find it is in Jesus because he is literally the life-giving one. He is life. He's the only place we'll find it. But like I said before, heaps of us, and maybe you don't, but I do it all the time, I want 
fullness of life, right? I want a rich life. I want a satisfying life. But too many times I go, yeah, Jesus has it, Jesus has it. Oh, but I'll just check over here and see if I can get a rich and a satisfying life over here. And then everything turns to custard. Okay, last point. This is a real quick one. Um, don't be, be offended by Jesus' arrogance. Um, he's right. So the first thing was don't be troubled. God's got you. The second thing was don't live a lame life. Jesus has got you. And here's the third one. Don't be offended by Jesus' arrogance. He's right. Um, so I put this verse on the screen, John 14, 6, that I was reading before. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Um, I was actually doing a bit of research um, on a few different news sites, again, I, ones I kind of trust, around what I'm about to say, and I was really shocked, and I, I'd heard this, but I didn't realise that the government had gone this far. So you know the government have passed the Hate Speech Act? Yep, and so a big part of that is religious hate speech. And so one of the articles I read said that what I'm about to say is probably going to be illegal in the next few years. And I just went, wow, that's really interesting. wasn't aware of that. So the Bible, Jesus claims that he is the only way to God. And our government defines that as a very intolerant, very arrogant, very non-New Zealand PC thing to say. And a couple of articles I read were saying pastors need to be aware that within time, church members need to be aware that within time we will not be able to say that because that will be a hate speech <laughs> against someone of a different religion. So I'm going to say what Jesus says here. He is the only way to the Father. He makes a real clear, and it sounds real arrogant, but if you're right, you can be arrogant. So is Jesus saying that all other religions are wrong? Yeah, he really is. Is Jesus saying that all other religions therefore are a lie? Yeah, he really is saying that. <laughs> Jesus is boldly saying... I am the way to truth, and I'm the way to life, physical and spiritual life. Um, and I'm proud to say it. I'm goosebumply because I'm like, woo, it's kind of cool to be rebelling against the government. You know what I mean? Um, but as Christians, we need to be aware that our government is changing rules. And one day we're going to wake up and we will not be able to say that in public, and we need to be ready for that. But I love Jesus saying this, right? Um, here's a quote. It's a little bit of a technical quote, but I, I love this quote. It's really cool. And this is thinking about, if you're right, you can be arrogant. That's what I'm saying. If Jesus is, in fact, God himself, that puts his claim in an entirely different light. An infinite being has the ability to say with certainty whether there is one God or many, and whether there are multiple ways to know him or only one. Jesus doesn't say that he merely speaks the truth. He claims to be the embodiment of truth. He doesn't say he can give life. He tells us he is the source of life itself. And he doesn't say he is one pathway to God among many. He asserts he is the only way. It's a, quite a cool statement, right? Because he is God. He can say this. He can say this. I love that quote. I love that quote. Okay, Etu, let's um, finish. Let's all stand, sorry. Etu, stand. Yeah. Hey, this is the end of our I Am series, um, which I've just really loved. Eh? I, like I said last week, I feel evil. Some weeks, getting paid to study the Bible, because I know heaps of you would be like, man, I'd love someone to pay me to study the Bible. Um, and I've loved being able to see Jesus communicate to us through these I am statements, who he really is. Um, and so I want to finish this whole series with a, a C.S. Lewis quote. It's a real well-known one. But I want to read it and then give us a little bit of a challenge. So this is a cool C.S. Lewis quote. Um, so this is from me, Christianity. He wrote this in 1942. You must make your choice.
He's talking about Jesus. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So I say this in heaps of love, and then I'm going to pray. Um, Nick, do you want to come up and play, bro? Yeah, cheers, man. Um, I say this to you in love, right? Um, There's a danger that we read this. Um, We listen to the sermon about Jesus being the only way, and we listen to the Apple Maps illustration in church, and we laugh. But then when we get into our lives, we do exactly that again and again and again. (laughs) On one hand, we go, yes, I agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But then the way we live our our lives doesn't reflect that. (laughs) We live our lives by going, I've got a faster, easier way over here. Or even worse than that, by going, yeah, I get all that. Jesus stuff, but and that's the problem. <laughs> there can't be a but, right? Um, Jesus said again and again, we read during this um, I Am series, that um, those who love me will obey me. <laughs> um, and I know this is a bit of a heavy way to end it, but I kind of feel like this is the end of a pretty significant series for us. And so I'm going to pray in a second, and I want you just to pause um, As I pray and go, are you really obeying Jesus? And if so, what is that obedience looking like in your life? Um, I want to read that that quote again. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God. Is that what you're saying? If he is, then the second bit at the bottom, um, you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And that's what you have to do. If you go, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, you then have to treat him as God. And he has to have a God place in your soul where you obey him and you see him as Lord. I'll keep reading that quote. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Yeah, kia ora, almighty God. Um, we're here this morning because we love you. We really are. Um, We're here because we want to grow in our relationship with you. Um, So see our hearts right now. See our hearts that we are before you going, yeah, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe that he is the Lord of my life, the God of my life. Help me to keep submitting to him. Help me to keep proving to myself that I am a child of God because I obey him, because there's fruit in my life. Yeah, God, I call out to you now on behalf of anyone in this room, anyone on the podcast that's listening to this, and they're just like, man, I just don't know. I don't know. I keep following off on my own own route so often. Am I really following Jesus? Is he really the way to truth and life in in my life? We do not want to go through this life thinking we are in a relationship with you get to the end and go, oh my God, I self-deceived, I self-deceived the whole way. Holy Spirit, guide us, draw us, clarify our thinking. Yeah, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.